Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. Vintage Church is a movement of truth, love, and community. For more information, visit VintageChurchNola.com. Here is this week's message. You guys can take a seat. Good morning. Now come on. There we go. You know, I'm going to do that every week. If you're here every week, just prepare yourself, right? These are things that you get used to and get ready for. It is good to be with you. If I've never met you before, my name is Dustin Turner. I serve as the lead pastor. I'm excited about this morning because we are wrapping up our Anticipate series. Over the last four weeks, we've been looking at the life of Abraham and how Abraham anticipated God to move and to work in his life. And today, you can turn to your Bibles. We're not going to be in Genesis. We're going to be somewhere else. We're going to be in Galatians chapter Three. If you have a Bible, turn there. If you don't, lift up your hand. Our Connect team would love to get you a copy of God's Word as our gift from us to you. We're going to be there and we're going to be seeing something a little different, right? Because typically when you think about anticipating, right, you think about what's to come. So you're anticipating, you're thinking about what's to come when you get to the place where you've arrived or where what you've been anticipating has come to fruition Something changes. It's different, right? I spent literally 24 years of my life in education. That's crazy, right? Some of you are like, I know, I'm there right now. 24 years of my life in, like, in, in education, learning, and growing. And yes, when I was in kindergarten, I wasn't anticipating becoming a doctor and getting a PhD, right? Even my parents weren't anticipating that. But as I went and continued, I kept seeing these things and anticipating what was next and anticipating what was next and then came to that moment where I'm on stage, I'm getting my diploma, I'm getting hooded and I received my PhD and it's in that moment where I realize it's, it's finished. I'm never going back, right? And even if I tried, my wife would kill me to say, you're not going back, right? There comes that moment when you've been anticipating and you reach that moment in life. And that's what we're going to be looking at today in Galatians 3. I want to encourage you, if you're, if you're new or you need to catch up, if you go to vcnola.com slash anticipate, you're going to find all of our sermon resources there from our sermon notes to audio and video to our V group study that we go through each week. Also, if you go to anticipatenola.com, Along with this series, we've rolled out and launched a two-year ministry initiative called Anticipate. And if you go to that website, you're going to learn all about what we're trying to accomplish over the next two years. But I want us to look at Galatians 3 today, and I want us to begin by thinking about what we're not anticipating. Right over the last four weeks, we've been looking at, you know, what is the Lord telling us to anticipate or what, are, what is Abraham anticipating in his life? And what I want us to look at first is what we're not anticipating. Look at Galatians 3, starting in verse 15. This is Paul writing to a church in the region of Galatia, which is in modern day uh, Turkey. And I'm going to read it and then give you a little bit of context if you're not familiar with the book of Galatians. Paul says this in verse 15, to give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, 
but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Verse 19. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Verse 21. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith, uh, until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Now hold on to these few verses. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Now, let's explain that because there's, there's a lot there, right? Some of you are like, I don't know what we just read. I'm still trying to figure it out. So, number one, you need to know some context regarding the, the, the book of Galatians, Paul's letter to the Galatian church. It was one of Paul's earliest letters, maybe one of his first letters that he ever wrote that we have in our New Testament. And the church at Galatia was made up of a lot of Jewish believers. So they were Jews who had come to faith and trust Jesus as their Messiah. And, but here's the thing. There was a group of, of Jews that they called Judaizers that came to Galatia and said, listen, it's fantastic that you're following Jesus, that you're placing your faith and trusting Jesus. But here's the thing. Salvation is not just by believing in Jesus. It's believing in Jesus plus following the law. And so they're con the Galatians are confused because they're like, well, that's not what, that's not what Paul said. So they're trying to figure out what in the world is going on. And Paul is writing this letter to encourage the Galatians to remember what they had experienced. That there was no following the law when they trusted Jesus, when they received the Holy Spirit. That just by faith alone, they had experienced salvation. And so what Paul is saying is, listen, the law, which is what he talks a lot about in Galatians 3, is not what saves you. It's by faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone, that you receive salvation, that you are saved, and that you become a son and daughter of God. And so we're going to be looking at this because Paul brings up the person of Abraham, right? Abraham is central to what Paul is writing about and he's arguing about in this letter. 
So let's first look at this, what we do not have to anticipate. We've been talking about all the stuff that we have to anticipate. What do we not have to anticipate? This is what I want you to see first. We don't have to anticipate God's promise. Now I know for some of you that might seem like counterintuitive. What? I mean, that's all we've been talking about. But look at what Paul says look, specifically in verse 16. Now the what? Come on, come on. Promises, there we go. There's going to be some participation today, okay? So you guys just participate, just read along. Now the promises were made to who? And to who? It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. Now, I know we don't like to, you know, we don't like grammar, we don't like English. I'm going to give you a little bit of a lesson here. There's this thing called singular and plural, okay? Paul is saying here, right, what God doesn't say to Abraham is offsprings, the plural, but singular. Look at what he says if you go and you look at Genesis 12, 7. We just, we just read this a few weeks ago when we kicked off Anticipate. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. And so Paul goes on to say in verse 18 of Galatians 3, he says, For if the inheritance comes by the law... It no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. You see, God had told Abraham, these are the things that I'm going to do for you. I'm going to give you descendants, right? Remember, descendants as numerous as the sand on the seashore, as the stars in the heaven. I'm going to give all of that to you. Look at the land that you're in. If you go forward, if you go backwards, if you go to your right, if you go to your left, all that you see will be your land. And then in Genesis 12, 3, he says, you're going to be blessed, and you'll be a blessing to others, and others will bless you. And he, God says this to Abram, and through you, all of the nations, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. These are promises. Now, did God say, hey, Abram, I want you to stand on one foot and hop up and down five times, and then you'll get those promises? Did he say, spin around in a circle? Did he say, do anything ridiculous or stupid to earn these promises? No. It was by faith that Abraham believed. It was by faith that God counted him as righteous. The reason, listen, the reason that you and I don't have to anticipate God's promise is because God already gave it to Abraham by faith. And the promise that we see in Genesis 12, 3, that all of the earth, all of the nations, all of the families will receive blessing through Abraham comes to you and I through Jesus Christ. Do you see, because of Jesus, we're not anticipating, we're not waiting for that promise. We've received the promise. That's the good news of the gospel, right? That Jesus came to earth, that he lived a perfect life, that he lived a sinless life, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he resurrected from the grave. And because of his life, death, burial, and resurrection, we can have life. The blessing that God promised to go through Abraham comes to you and I. You recognize that, right? The promise 
that Abraham received and the, the blessing that was promised to the world. If you know Jesus, you're experiencing that. You have it. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. For so many of us, we're searching, we're looking all the wrong places, right? We recognize, every single one of us, I think, for the most part, would recognize that something is wrong. Whether it's in your life, whether it's in our world, whatever. I mean, you recognize that something is not right. And the challenge for you and I is we look at all of the wrong places for the answer to the problem. And we don't need to anticipate that promise. Because that promise has come to fruition in Jesus. And so for you and I, we don't have to anticipate God's promise because he was faithful to deliver it to Abraham and it now comes to us through Jesus. As we think about Jesus, here's the second thing that I want us to recognize that we don't have to anticipate. Not only do we not have to anticipate God's promise, but we also don't have to anticipate Jesus coming. We don't have to anticipate. Look at what Paul, sa- or what Paul says in verses 19 through 25. What he's referring to, what he's talking about is the law. But in relation to the law, he begins to talk about Jesus or the coming of faith. Look at what he says in verses 23 through 25. He says, now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. You see, what Paul is talking about, before what he was talking about, is God made a promise to Abram, Abraham without the law. It was a promise that was just based on God's faithfulness. Then 430 years later, the law came to show us, to demonstrate to us our need for God. Right? When, you, when you break a law, when you see a speed limit sign, I know some of you think they're invisible, but when you see a speed limit sign and it says a particular speed limit and you go faster than that speed limit, what have you done? Okay, I think some of you think you haven't broken the law. What have you done? You've broken the law, right? I say I'm guilty as well, guilty as charged, right? When I tell my kids what to do and what not to do, right? They know right from wrong. They know when they've overstepped a bound or not. And what what Paul is saying here, what he's saying is that because of the law, we recognize our sin. We recognize, okay, here God is holy, and while it's difficult, I mean, I think we would all agree, it's difficult to understand what it means to be holy. But if we know the law, which is God's standard, If we see that and we say, okay, this is how we're supposed to live our life because this is who God is, and we break that law, then all of a sudden we recognize that we are not like God. And not only are we not like God, but we're broken people in need of reconciliation. That's that's what God was trying to do throughout the Bible. 
right? Adam and Eve created Adam and Eve to do what? To have relationship with them. They spurned God and said, listen, we can do this on our own. Then he goes to Noah and says, listen, I'm going to destroy all of the earth. But for you, I'm going to start over with you. Go read in Genesis. Noah does some really weird stuff. Some things go out of whack. So then he says, listen, I'm going to start back with Abraham. All of this so that God would have a relationship with his people. And so the law is there to to remind us, to show us that we're broken, that we're in need of forgiveness, that we need the promise, that we need Jesus. That's why for you and I, we don't have to anticipate Jesus' coming. Because the law came, and then Jesus came, and now we recognize not only our sin, but we now recognize the way back to God. The way to be reconciled to God. The way that we can have a relationship with Him and be made whole with God. Again, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel, right? That's the good news that we proclaim. That's what Paul is reminding us of in this passage. Every time when he says before faith came or when faith came or or faith came, he's referring to Jesus. And he's referring to this reality because this is truth and you know this in your own life. You can't uphold God's perfect standard. The law is set out before you and you know in and of your own self that you're not going to be able to uphold that law in and of your own power. But how was the promise given to Abraham? By following the law? By faith. What does Paul say? How are we justified? So then the law was our guardian, verse 24, until Christ came in order that we might be Justified by what? Faith. Which is why we come back to responding to the good news of Jesus Christ. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Turning away from our sin and in faith trusting Jesus. That what Jesus has provided will reconcile us back to God. And you know what's incredible about that reality? Is that there's nothing we have to wait on. Jesus has come and salvation has been provided. We no longer have to anticipate God's promise. We no longer have to anticipate Jesus coming because those things have already happened. Because of God's promise, because of Jesus coming, I want you to look at this. We also don't have to anticipate our faith. Look at verses 26 through 29. He says, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through what? Faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are who? Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to what? Do you see what Paul is doing here? Do you see what he's fleshing out? He's saying, listen, all of you, you're under the law and you recognize your need for sin, but Jesus has come. And listen, remember that God made these promises to Abraham a long time ago that God would send his son. His son has now come. You were alienated from God, but because of the promise that God made to Abraham, Jesus has come. And because you're in Christ, you are now sons and daughters of God. 
That's incredible news for you and I. Right, because here's the reality. I don't, I, we don't want to think like this. I know it's, it's negative thinking. We want to be positive people, right? But here's the reality. You and I are enemies of God. We're not like, you know, you have those family members that you just don't really like spending time with. I don't know if it's a cousin or an aunt or an uncle. And you're like, yeah, they're kind of like my family. You know, you have those people, right? God, that's not you and God. That's not you and God. You and God are like, that. think about the person in your life that hurt you and that wronged you and that did you wrong. When you think about that person, there's nothing you want to do in your life to reconcile that relationship because you don't want to get close to that person again. That's what you and I have done to God. But what God has done in Christ is reconcile us to him. Just saying, listen, regardless of what you've done, regardless of who you are, regardless of your past, I love you. And because I love you, I sent my son Jesus to give you life. And so for you and I, it's about being reconciled to God. And listen, this is also the important thing, is you and I did not do anything to initiate that love. In fact, God kept coming closer and we kept walking away. What Paul is saying is, listen, long ago, God made a promise. It's come to fruition in Jesus, and now because you believe, because God gave you faith to believe and to trust, you have been reconciled to God. You have been made sons and daughters of God. It's not like God is saying to you, you know, I'm going to let you in. I'm not a real big fan of you, but I'll let you in. That's not what he's saying. You know, you you have those people too. I'll let them hang around my, my friend circle, but they're not my favorite person. Right? That's not God. God is saying, you know what? Regardless of what you've done to me, regardless of your past, regardless of who you have been, I love you so much that you are becoming my son and daughter. And do you know how significant that is? Because here's here's what God is saying. God is saying, listen, here's my natural-born son, Jesus Christ. He Everything that he has, because I'm adopting you in, because you're becoming my son, because you're becoming my daughter, everything that he has, life and kingdom and truth and love, every single thing that I've given him, it is now yours. So just think about every single thing that God has. I mean, it's like me, Jesus says this in the Gospels, right? He says, if you are a good father and your son or daughter asks for a fish, why would you give them a serpent? Right? Or they want bread, why would you give them a piece of wood? You wouldn't. That's not being a good father. What God has given us by making us sons and daughters of him is he's given us the inheritance that Jesus Christ has in him. To be made sons and daughters of God is to experience a love that you and I have never experienced. To be loved unconditionally, regardless, I mean, think about this, regardless of what you do or you don't do, regardless of how good of a person you think you are or how terrible of a person you think you are, God loves you unconditionally. 
And you might see this like this little blip in your life to say, man, at this moment, God loved me. God had a plan 3,000 years ago when he came to Abram to, to start a family and to reconcile the world to himself. And your life was in that plan. That's how much God loves you. To what lengths would he go to make you a son and daughter of him? And you know what's incredible about that truth? What's incredible about that reality? It's already happened. We're not waiting. We don't have to anticipate it. All of that has been provided. And so we rest in that truth and that reality. And for those of us who, who have faith, that our faith, we've believed in Jesus, it's there. For those of us we recognize in our lives, listen, I know that I know I need God. I know that I'm a sinner. I know I'm separated from God. I know that Jesus is the answer. Listen, there's nothing more that you have to wait on. That's what I'm trying to tell you. You don't have to try and clean up your act. You don't have, all you have to do is right where you're at, in this very moment, cry out to God, God, forgive me, I'm a sinner, I believe in your son Jesus, I trust in Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection to save me. And the reality, the truth of be, being reconciled to God, becoming a son and daughter of God, becomes yours. That's the power of faith. Is that not incredible? That there's, there's literally nothing you have to do except trust in Jesus to be loved by God. I mean, is that, is that not the most ridiculous, incredible truth that you and I get to know and believe? But that's what God says to us. One author says it like this. He says, acceptance with God and the continuance of a relationship with him are based on faith for people of all kinds and not in doing works of the law to perfect that relationship. Not only has God provided a way in his son, but I don't know if you caught the end of that verse, is that there's literally nothing that will separate you from the love of God. If, you're, if you are of a different ethnicity, if, you are, if you're not Jewish or you are Gentile or whatever, or if you're male or female, if you're rich or you're poor or you're different, whatever, none of those distinctions matter in the kingdom of God. God doesn't look on your life and say, you know what, because they're like this or because they're this, I can't love them. But Jesus provided a way for every single person to come to faith in him. So we don't have to anticipate God's promise. We don't have to anticipate the coming of Jesus. We don't have to anticipate our faith. If we don't have to anticipate those things, what do we need to anticipate? And I want you to see these two things. Number one, we have to anticipate God to save people. Think about, think about all of the things we've just talked about. If God went out of his way 3,000 years ago to give a promise to Abraham to send his son Jesus that we might believe, what do you think God wants to do? I'd say he wants to save people, right? If I mean, 
God has made a way for you and I to be reconciled to him. It is his desire in our lives and in others' lives that we would come to know God, that we would be reconciled to our creator and our redeemer. And therefore, if that's the case, then we have to anticipate that God wants to save people. You know what that means for you and I? What that means for you and I is that there might be people in our lives that we've been praying for, sharing the gospel with for years. And we've come to a place where we just don't know whether or not God wants to save those people anymore. And what I think, what Paul is saying here, the implications of Galatians 3 is that we keep praying, we keep sharing because God wants to save people. You have them, I have them. People in my life that are so difficult, in your mind, in your intellect, you don't see how they could ever come to faith. But God wants to save those people. We have to anticipate God to save people, but we also have to anticipate this. We must anticipate our role in saving people. Here is this message of the gospel, these promises that God has made, the sending of his son Jesus. But listen, no one knows that information unless they're told about it. Paul says this in Romans 10, 14, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? They can't call on someone if they've not believed. How are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? If they've never heard the name of Jesus, how can they believe in Jesus? And how are they to hear without someone preaching or someone sharing? You see, God, in his divine sovereignty, in his plan for redemption, it was his desire that you and I would be the means by which people hear the gospel. I mean, God, he's infinite, he's all-powerful, he's all-knowing. Surely he could have come up with a better plan for the gospel to be shared, right? I mean, there, God could have created, like, robots 4,000 years ago and said, these robots are going to go around the world and they're going to share the faith. God didn't do that. Robots 4,000 years ago would have been kind of weird. God didn't do that. God said, it's your responsibility. It's your responsibility. It's your responsibility. It's my responsibility. If we've been saved, if we've received the good news of Jesus Christ, it's our responsibility to share that good news. I mean, think about it like this, right? My son and my daughter. My son's seven. My daughter's four. There's, there's, there's nothing that they could do. My love for them is unconditional. Sometimes they beat me up and hurt me and I still love them, right? I mean, it's unconditional, my love for them. But just because my love for them is unconditional does not mean that they don't have responsibilities in my home. And at some point, the older they get, guess what? And I'm so excited about this. They're going to get more responsibilities, right? My dad used to say, son, we're still, you're still having to pay your birth off. And so that's why you mow the lawn every week because this is payment for your birth that just never seemed fair but now it makes a whole lot of sense to me right so we have responsibilities right regardless of whether we've been if we've been saved and we become sons and daughters of God yes God saved us but then he immediately upon saving us put us on mission 
don't know if you've been reading in your F-260 plane, but I think it was last week or the week before that, we were reading through uh, the Gospel of Luke. And there's, there's a story in there that I had read a hundred times, but I, for the first time, noticed something. It's a story about Jesus healing the demoniac. I don't know if you know this story, but there's this guy, and he's got a legion of demons inside of him. And he's, I mean, he's, he's legitimately, these demons have made him crazy. He's crazy. So he lives in a, like in a, in a, uh, a, a cemetery with dead people. I mean, that's what he does. And he's going around, and he beats himself, and he hits himself. He's chained up so he doesn't get a go away because he's that crazy. So interesting guy, right? Jesus comes to him and saves him and heals him of the demons, sends the demons into a pig to run off the, uh, the side of a cliff. Now, here's what's interesting about that passage. All of that happens, and what does the demoniac want, the guy want to do? He immediately says, Jesus, I want to go with you wherever you go. I want to follow you. Wherever you go, I'm going with you. Which we would all say, sign me up, I'll take that job, right? I want to go with Jesus. I want to live my life for Jesus. Wherever he goes, I will follow, right? But what does Jesus say to him? You're not going, you're not going with me. I want you to go back to your town. I want you to go back to your family. I want you to go back to your friends. And I want you to tell them what God has done for you. Is that not incredible? For you and I, we want immediately what the demoniac wanted. I mean, we would want, Jesus, I want to go with you. I want to hang out with you. I want to sit at your feet, learn your teachings, experience more healings. And Jesus says, no, the most important thing that you need to do is not be with me anymore, but go and share what I've done for you. And for you and I, every single one of us in this room, if we've experienced salvation in Christ, if we've experienced God providing in our life, if God healing in our life, God answering our prayers, then what we have been called to do, what our role is, is to go and share that good news with other people. That's what we should be anticipating. That's what we anticipate, our role in saving people. And over these last five weeks, we've been laying out for you what we believe, what the pastors of Into Church believe, is how we do that very thing, how we anticipate God to move, how our role looks in the life of vintage. We call it what? The Anticipate Initiative. And I just want you to think about this. Because when you think about the initiative, you could get wrapped up in, well, we want to do this, or we want to do that, or hey, we want to put money there, or we want to do this. But I, just, I want you to think about each of these elements that we've talked about. Future impact. Future impact is about having gospel conversations with people, telling people about Jesus. It's about our discipleship, that we would grow in our faith. It's about serving our city through Serve NOLA partnerships. Future generations is about pouring into our V kids and our V students to reach and disciple children, students, and families, the ones we have, the ones we don't have. Future churches, it's about reaching people in other cities. I know you know this, but it's sometimes hard to remember that there are people outside of the greater New Orleans area. Right? That's why we go to Pittsburgh. That's why we go to Denver. That's why we've gone to India. That's why we go different places in our world. Because there are people outside of our city that desperately need Jesus. I mean, you see, the reason 
that for the next two years, Vintage Church is focused on the Anticipate Initiative is because we know and we are anticipating that God wants to save people. We know and we are anticipating that it's our role to help people come to know Jesus. The Anticipate Initiative is about people coming to faith in Jesus and experiencing life change. That's why we do what we do. That's why Vintage Church exists. That people who are far from Jesus would come to Jesus and would lead other people to know Jesus. And listen, whether you believe it or not, whether you know it or not, that's what your life is about. You exist to bring people who are far from God near to God through Jesus Christ. Whether you're at home with your kids, whether you're at the workplace, whether you're at school, whether you're hanging out in your neighborhood, that is your responsibility for those of us who know and follow Jesus Christ. That in everything we do, we would be bringing people to know Jesus. Some of the things that we have seen in, in just in, our, in the life of our church over the last, honestly, couple of weeks. We saw a school-age kid the other, uh, last Sunday throw in like five to six gospel conversation ping-pong balls. And we were, we were like, oh, 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 stop, stop, stop. This isn't like a basketball game. You don't just put the ping-pong balls in because you want to. And he's like, no, 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 I've shared the gospel five times with people. Okay, put the ball in. Right? That's why we go and we serve New Orleans Mission. That's why our women are going and serving Inward Ministries in Baptist Friendship House. That's why we sent a team to Vintage Pit. That's why Pastor Rob went to Vintage Pit. That's why we're going to talk about Dwell Church and why Josh and Sarah Cook went to Denver. That's why you go to work. That's why you go home. That's why you have fun that people who are far from Jesus might come to know Jesus. That's why we do what we do. Listen, and I want you to know I'm not angry. It sounds like I'm angry. I'm just really passionate right now. Because here's the thing. I didn't want to do this today. I got up, and I didn't feel really great. I moved for the 14th time this weekend, and I'm just tired, and I just wasn't really feeling it. But then in the first gathering, I started sharing, and I started seeing this truth, and what, what Paul is saying to the Galatians, the promises that we read in, in Genesis to Abraham, I'm reminded just how real this is. For those of you in this room who have, who have received Jesus and trusted Jesus, I just want you to remember how different your life is because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for you. And if you forgot that, I want you to think back to the moment when Jesus saved you. And I want you to think back to that moment when Jesus saved you and go through all the rest of your life. And I want you to look at all of the different pieces of your life and how those different pieces are different because of what Jesus has done for you. Then I want you to erase Jesus from that picture. And I want you to imagine how different your life would be. For some of you, here's the reality. You're looking at your life and you're recognizing that line. There, number one, there's no point where you trusted in Jesus. And number two, that line is full of emptiness and a lack of hope and no dream and no desire. And you know you need something. 
And for me, I'm just, I'm just reminded of how different my life is because of what Jesus has done for me. And man, it inspires me to want to live the rest of my life and every single day pursuing him. And I pray that that's, that's the dream, the mission, the passion, the vision of Vintage Church for all its days. That we would reflect back on what God has done for us and we would go and share that with as many people as we possibly can. Because we want them to experience the very same Jesus who has changed our lives. That's the point of everything. That's the point of vintage. That's the point of anticipate. That's the, the point of our very lives. And so as we close this morning, I want us to think about three questions. Number one, what will your role be in future impact? As you think about the initiative, as you think about gospel conversations, discipleship, serve Nola, all of these different things, what are you going to do? What, is you, what are you going to do to reach more people with the gospel, to reach the people God has put in your life? Number two, what will your role be in future generations? Maybe it's serving with our V-Kids or our V-Students. Maybe it's loving our V-Kids and V-Students volunteers. Maybe it's simply giving generously that we can continue to provide and support that ministry. Number three, what will your role be in future churches? Maybe it's praying for our church planners. Maybe it's going on a trip to one of our cities. Maybe it's continuing to be faithful and generous with your resources that, they would, that we would be able to send and support those ministries. But we don't make an impact. We don't have future impact in future generations and future churches without us together. Looking at ourselves and saying, God, I know you want to save people. How do you want to use me to reach those people? Let's anticipate God to save people. And let's anticipate us to do something about it. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you that you love us. God, as we process and think about all of the things that we don't have to anticipate, God, we're so very thankful for your faithfulness. God, that you demonstrated your love for us by giving promises and sending your son Jesus and providing faith that we might be reconciled to you, that the promise you gave to Abraham that we've been studying has come to fruition in our lives. But because of those truths, God, we know you want to save people and you know, we know that you've got a role for us to play. And so as we respond, God, help encourage us, equip us, and challenge us to do something about it. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.